Are we ready to do this? I think so. Let's dive into some salty meats. So welcome to Season 2, Episode 2, Potential Spam. I'm Chris. And I'm Evan. Evan began this earthly pilgrimage in suburban Ohio. Since then, he's been an educator in New York City, Vietnam, and currently teaches in Santiago, Chile. That's a true fact. Aren't all facts true? We've learned this over the last several years. Facts no, are but subjective. If it's, not, if it's not correct, it's not a fact. It is a fiction. So if something did not happen, it is not a fact. Okay, that's fair. Oh, am I supposed to give some piece of great information about you? I mean, you normally do. That's why I'm waiting. I, I have, don't have one for you. I wasn't even thinking about that. I was so focused on other things. Um, let's see. Evan loves soda. Is that correct, Evan? It's, it's not wrong. I had a thing about Orange Crush for a while, I think which was inspired by the movie Joe versus the Volcano. Really? Yeah. So you drank a lot of Orange Crush back in the day? I didn't have a lot of it, but when I had it, it was great. Also, we never called it Orange Soda. It was always Orange Pop or Orange Crush or Fanta. So did you call Fanta Orange Crush? I think we just called it the Orange Pop. Orange Pop. The color. All right. Usually not referring to the fruit, usually the color, because that's what it was. Right, because I think there's 0% juice in there. Chris Wolf taught social studies internationally for a number of years, but has since moved back to the U.S., to the Pacific Northwest, with his family. You might not know that Chris Wolf is the creative mind behind the smashing Instagram account, Worldwide Beer Guy, which... You were on post number 394, so you were only six beers from hitting the big 400, Chris. That's a lot of beer. I, I don't know how I feel about that, actually. When you hear that number, that becomes a lot of beer. But you've had those over a number of years. Do you remember the first beer? I don't remember the first beer. In fact, I was thinking about that the other day. Like, which one did I put up there first? And it would not even tell you. Well, I have it open if you'd like to know. I'd love to know. I'm going to read the caption first, and then I'll tell you what the beer was. This was on June 14th, 2018, and the caption is, Northwest Summer Calls for Northwest Beer, Full Sail Brewing, Out of Hood River, The Name Doesn't Lie. Do you remember what it was? I love a good full sail. Wasn't the session. Was it the session? It was the session. Why do you not think it's the session? Because the name doesn't lie. So I'm not sure what that even means. You know a lot more than I do about this beer. You would be the one to, to be able to answer this. But anyway, Session Easy IPA, 288 weeks, it says underneath the caption. Since you enjoyed this cold, frosty brew. That's what I meant by the name doesn't lie. Session Easy IPA, because it is an easy IPA. Not too hoppy. But I bet you were hoppy yeah. after you had it. That's what you pay me for, Chris. All that's why you get all the cheddar. The delicious. I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember what was that brand. I think it starts with a Tilla, and ends with a Mook. Tillamook is is the one. No, I am trying to think of the cheddar that was the brand that we got in Vietnam. Which, by the way, most of the beers on this feed are from. Yes, because I started that feed when I was in the Northwest, going back to Vietnam, was traveling a lot internationally before that. And then COVID happened. So I spent a lot more time in Vietnam than I was anticipating. <laughs> so I think, though, it is Worldwide Beer Guy, 
the overall beers consumed are most of them are Vietnam or Northwest. Evan, I hear we received an email, our email address. Can you remind our listeners of what that email address is? Our email is opposite of neutral podcast at gmail.com. We are still welcoming all of your ideas, your thoughts on the episodes, thoughts on being back for season two. Now, I do have something sad to report, Chris, about our spam folder. Oh, no. Well, messages that have been in spam more than 30 days will be automatically deleted. So I no longer have some of those messages. I have the one about saying, hey, we want to leverage the power of video for your podcast. But there was another one that I'm pretty sure I talked about on our last episode that is no longer with us. But there are three spam messages in our mailbox and they all look very juicy to discuss. Well, let's just dive in. Well, the first one is from the Reverend Robert Williams, and it says that the payment of $3 million has been approved. And, and it says due to... Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we're ready. They are ready, clearly. Um, it says that our clear attention and understanding is needed our funds will be packaged in a consignment box. So that's $3 million in a box shipped to us through a licensed United Nations Diplomatic Courier Service agent. That is quite a title. A licensed United Nations Diplomatic Courier Service agent. And he, this person will also send the picture of the box and the video clip of how the fund was arranged in the consignment box before depositing with the courier to be delivered. So all they need is my full name, which honestly, if they've been listening to this podcast, they probably would know. My home address, they don't have that. My occupation, another thing that they would probably know if they listened to this episode, and my valid and direct phone number. That seems pretty reasonable. I don't know why I wouldn't just give this information away. I'm sure that you are a well-deserving recipient of that $3 million, and I hope it finds you well. I hope so. So that's this one. Another one, this woman is married to Mr. Tyler. They were married years without a child. So she has decided to donate this money to a good person who will use this money to help society. One more person, similar issue, but this is some, a, a, a client of his that shares almost the same name. As, that's a little surprising because this is a person in Cambodia I'm willing to bet that on my two visits to Cambodia that I was one of no more than five Weinbergs in the country. And considering that one of those others was Nora, I think you were... I would be shocked if there are that many Weinbergs in Cambodia, that next time I go, let's all get together. A little family reunion in Cambodia. In New York, there are three other Evan Weinbergs. Did I ever tell you there was a guy on Facebook named Chris Wolf who is trying to collect friends from all the other Chris Wolfs of the world? He's a singer in Indiana, which, as you know, was the state Mm -hmm. I was born. So I thought that was a great coincidence. And apparently he tried to befriend all the other Chris Wolfs of the world until he was reported by other fake users named Chris Wolf and told to desist in this operation. But he and I did become Facebook friends. In fact, my students, when I told them about this, said, Mr. Wolf, don't do this. 
This is awesome catfishing scam. Turned out that the guy just thought it was really cool that he could connect with other people with the same name. And since then has remained one of my Facebook friends. And I think that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed about that was the fact that many other people thought this was suspicious or sus as the kids mm. say these days. But in fact, it turned out just a friendly guy who was a little bit older than me. And I think you have to be a little bit older to be using Facebook these days. And he thought it was a really great idea. Why not just become friends with everyone with the same name? And when you talk about like the good things about the internet, like that's what people were hoping would happen with social networking and the new media that we just become friends with people and, and sort of share experiences. And I'd say that is like a shining moment for Facebook for me, not the weird rants that people put or those sorts of things. Well, and the ability to find other people with the same hobbies. I mean, that's great. But finding people with the same name where you could all go into a Kroger's, there's so much potential that could only happen with the internet. What does the stamp cost today, Chris? I have forever stamps. So they cost whatever they pay forever. So Evan, you know, this whole term spam, I think I actually initially thought that this was an acronym, that spam stood suspicious, phishing, advertising, and malicious. That these emails, like from whoever that UN was, that this was somehow suspicious. Why would the UN be giving us $3 million to help us with our podcast? Or was it some sort of phishing scheme? Like, you know, my other crisp wolf friend listens to this podcast and gets joy out of it. And some people thought this might be a phishing scheme that trying to get some information or is it advertising or is there something malicious, but it turns out, and you probably knew this, that is, that is not the case that it, as far as email goes, comes from a Monty Python sketch where there is a cafe in England populated by Vikings who are all demanding spam and repeat the word spam again and again and again. And apparently this is beginning of internet that pe that in chat rooms, groups would try to take over a chat room by just typing the word spam, 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 spam again and again and again. So people leave that chat room and then have it for themselves. You knew that, right? Amazing history. When we got a sound card for, for our computer, this is nineties. We're talking my older brother got a bunch of sound files on the computer. A number of them were clips from the Simpsons, but one of them was the Vikings singing the spam song from that episode of Monty Python. But I knew absolutely nothing else about it until you shared this fact with me, Chris. Well, that's what I try to do. I educate and amaze. Just ask anyone. This whole idea of the spam coming from the product spam that might stand for spiced ham that has never been confirmed, by the way. Spam is an interesting dish because it really is a, it's a worldwide appeal. I don't remember if you remember going to Seoul Deli in Saigon and getting the rice burgers. And one time I accidentally got a rice burger. And the thing about rice burger is the patties are made out of rice. And on the inside, I really liked the beef and cheese one. I had one with spam and I accidentally got that once and it was fantastic. So in Korea, South Korea, at least because of the U S military influence, spam has become a staple of Korean culture and in Hawaii as well. 
In fact, recently, Emily and I have been working to try to use the products or different things we've never cooked with before. Recently, we'd use like delicata squash, cooking with spam as well. And we cooked a Hawaiian dish called musubi. You cook spam in oil and you put it on top of rice and wrap it in seaweed. So it's like a Japanese spam fusion. And it was absolutely delicious. We got our spam, our, our friend Sujin, who is a Korean woman who runs a Korean grocery here in Anhortus, gave us some spam from her own personal sash. That dish sounds amazing. It was absolutely delicious. It's basically using sushi rice, spam, and a little bit of nori. The combination, the salty, the umami of the seaweed and the rice going together. It's exactly the kind of thing that I like. Now I'm forgetting the word for the rice triangles. Oh yeah. The The ones that I can't believe I only discovered my last few weeks in Saigon. I've heard another idea that spam stands for shoulder of pork and ham. The fact that we can't know the actual origin of this for sure. I mean, surely the spam museum is a credible source. It would pass the crap test. It would pass the test. However, I've also read the origin of the name is known only to the Hormel executives. Gives it an air of uh, sophistication. It's not the best meat product out there, but it certainly has the best awareness worldwide. People know spam. They see it. And I'm talking about the meat, not the email. It is truly a worldwide phenomenon. Now, Evan, you had a sort of a different take on this idea of this sort of unwanted stuff that sort of comes at us, that fills our inboxes, fills our friend requests, whatever it might be. But you sort of saw it a little bit differently. You were thinking about this. Well, I admittedly spend time looking through my spam folder. One thing that interests me about spam is that it's it's a way to tempt all of our very human tendencies to try to get you to open and take a look at something. So I think that's what most people think of when it comes to spam. Because it normally all of these emails you can just delete and there's no issue with saying goodbye. You can see all of the things that Google, for example, labels as potential spam, and and most of them are right. But I've also found emails from donations to politicians that I've made a long time ago, a newsletter that I signed up for in 2000. So this is stuff that I'm not even part of anymore, and it's still keeping track of all these things. So the idea that we have the potential to be hoarders. We can hold onto all of these things. And when things are labeled as spam and they're put in our spam folder, the system does us the favor of just deleting everything outright and saying, it's doubtful that you're ever going to need anything that's in this. And you'll probably be okay. But my issue is that I am a digital hoarder. And when I see an email, I start to think, do I need this? Like, what if I need this later? I get a receipt from a ride-sharing app. Maybe this is the only record that I've taken this trip. Should I delete it? What if I need to dispute some charges later on? (laughs) So I look at all of these things that are in my inbox, and I have a really hard time getting rid of emails, even if they're not actually labeled spam. You're sort of saying that we can 
broaden the idea of spam here. Let's go for the word clutter there. Our inboxes fills our thoughts. Like we are sort of constantly being spam. The issue is that space now is so cheap. I remember when I was told I had to clear out my mailbox because it was full. And let's say it was a megabyte of space. My Gmail account has 15 gigabytes of space. And if you think about the number of messages that you get, we don't really have to delete things the way we once did. It's almost so inexpensive to hold on to things that we do, or I do. I don't know if you have the same issue. I will also say, though, that sometimes I will get on a deleting spree and I will go through old attachments, emails that I've received that I definitely don't need. Let's say from a mailing list that I signed up for in 2005. So I will delete the emails, but here's the weird thing for me. I don't hit unsubscribe. It's like an extra step that I have trouble doing because it just seems not worth the time. I have a Yahoo account that I don't check as often as I should. I just sort of let things build up in there. In fact, just recently saw something from LinkedIn because I don't bother to check my LinkedIn emails and saw something that was actually very important that Evan Weinberg mentioned to me in a post. I had to figure out oh. what it was. And it was that the first episode of the second season was out now. Are you saying that your co-host didn't think to share the link with you directly? I was thinking, oh, Evan's really busy. I don't want him to think that I don't appreciate all the hard work that he does. So I'm just going to kick back, not worry about it. He'll get to it when he gets to it, not realizing that you had actually finished it two weeks ago and already posted it. It also might reveal that my reach is not what I want it to be. Chris, I don't want to end up in your spam folder. Which it's funny. I think I feel like the whole email address is a spam folder. I have things I have subscribed to from the Seattle Mariners. I love the baseball club, but I don't need a happy holidays from the Mariners as I'm looking at it now. Mano's Pizza sends me emails, LinkedIn, the New York Times get me to subscribe, even though I do subscribe already. All these little things sort of build up there. So I have this whole space to carry my stuff. But it's not just a digital thing. I think society, you hear about the growth of storage units. Now, Evan, you don't have a storage unit per se, correct? Not anymore. We had a storage unit in the Bronx, which then became a storage unit in Ohio, where my parents live. And then my parents said, we have space in our basement. And we said, you really want to hold all our stuff with all its Bronx and then mentor gunk on it? And they said, yeah, sure. So our storage unit was my parents' place for a little while in their basement. But we made the decision to get most of that out of the basement. I think it's down to maybe a, a cubic meter or two of stuff now. But we shipped the rest of it here. So now we have all kinds of crap here. And what's really funny is that the physical clutter, I have USB cables that I put in my drawer probably 2003 after moving to New York. And because I haven't done really good culling of my USB cables, much to my wife's dismay, I still have some of those things because 
when don't you need a USB cable, Chris? Apparently for 20 years, you did not need that USB cable. If I did, I know exactly where it is. So take that charging needs. So all the stuff that you have and have shipped to Santiago now, are you happier because you have it? I am. I know what my crap is. And I know that when I have a need for something, there is a distinct possibility that I have it in my box of wires. And I know I've talked about boxes of wires on this podcast before. I have many. I have different categories of boxes of wires. I have boxes for charging cables, but I have boxes of wires for hobby stuff when I'm soldering electronics together. That's one of my hobbies. And one of the things I've learned in my later years, not that I'm old, but it's really nice having tools. It's nice having what you need at the moment that inspiration hits and you want to do a project. And so that's why I have justified bringing a lot of this stuff around because I have good tools and I don't like buying a whole new set of things when I've known I have a perfectly good one in a storage unit or in my parents' basement. So I justify having this stuff with me. So while other people look at it and see it as clutter, and let's be real, it is clutter. It takes up space that could be taken up by other things, other people's clutter, maybe. By other people, you mean Josie. Yeah, but she also, Sometimes. and again, this is going to start a fight when she listens to this. But She's things. not listening, don't worry. <laughs> she also has things that she doesn't need. But... I justify saying, hey, if she's cool with me having my boxes of wires, she can have these other things. And it's fine. That's called an understanding. So when does it become too much stuff? All the stuff we have in our life. I'm thinking about this right now. I'm helping my father-in-law pull down some stuff, put away some jackets, move some things, move some stuff upstairs. And I realize you start collecting all of this stuff. I mean, he has a great collection of jackets, more jackets than he could ever wear in this lifetime, but they're all good quality jackets and you never know when you're going to need another jacket, right? So when does the stuff become too much? When does it become spam? I will also say that there are times when some of this stuff, it has disappeared. It's just gone. I will store stuff on old hard drives. And I've had those hard drives go bad. And suddenly I realize, oh my gosh, I don't have any of that digital clutter anymore. And there are times when I just say, okay, that's fine. I don't actually need anything that was on here. You don't really realize it until it's too late. Like, oh, I wish I had this recommendation letter for a student who I happen to be meeting you know, I keep a lot of my stuff. I still have my spreadsheets from grades that I gave 20 years ago, really, because I never thought to take the time to delete it. I think it's taking the time to decide what you don't need anymore, which is actually the more expensive thing. It's not when do you decide to let go of something. It's more, it takes time to make that decision to get rid of this or that. I had a, a standing agreement with the assistant in the makerspace at SSIS, the school that we taught at. And I told him very early on in our professional relationship, I hold on to things 
because I think they might be useful in projects. I told him, you have the right, if there is something completely unreasonable that I am holding on to in this space, where space is at a premium, you can get rid of any of those things. And I will accept that you, a professional, have made that decision, being of sound mind and not my sense of hoarding of things. He did it. He would tell me all of the things that he had thrown out, and it was all completely reasonable. I never would have spent the time doing that. That's the main difference. And so that's why it's not about letting go. I think it really takes time to have that emotional moment when you say, you know what? I'm okay without this. I'm going to get rid of it. And I guess my question is how to reach that time? Because I know there's whole industries devoted to this, right? Like Marie Kondo, mm -hmm. where she's getting people to simplify their life. You know, she asks them the question, does this bring you joy? These are the physical things. Like in a way, having an email account that I never read, there's no physical space for me that, that bothers. Having a closet that I open up and I'm like, oh my goodness, all this stuff here is more of a challenge. Like just last year, we went through our garage, reorganized, got rid of stuff, moved stuff around, sometimes stored our stuff better, but other times got rid of stuff that we no longer needed. I did the same thing with my coats at the, the beginning of winter. I'm like, am I going to wear this coat this winter? I had these fall coats that I realized that I had not worn all autumn, like three different coats I can get rid of. I think I donated them to someone who probably could better use them. So what is the impetus? And the physical stuff seems more important than the digital stuff in my mind, because I too have hard drives with episodes of how I met your mother on a hard drive. Why? It doesn't seem very important anymore. Am I going to delete them? No, they don't seem to take up any space. So what is it that, that actually gets you to declutter, get rid of the spam? But see, for me, I can't take the same approach of does this still give me joy? Because that's not how I think about things right now. And it's the same thing with my digital clutter. I think about potential joy. It's not I don't want to throw this away because of all the memories that I have. I mean, I think about that, but I also think about potential joy. Like now, I think about, oh, this no longer gives me joy. For example, I have sets of Lego robots, but it might give Nora joy sometime. There might be also the potential for joy of Nora playing with the same toys that I used in my teaching or that I used for fun during lockdown in Vietnam, for example. Like maybe she can turn this into something new. Like I also think about digital stuff. This example that I gave of finding, ending an email from when we first met, I can spend time looking at these things and remembering the experience of, of getting to know someone for the first time when we first started talking. That's huge. I guess when it comes to the physical stuff and I see something and it is not something that I can myself get joy from in the future or be meaningful to someone I care about later on, I'm okay getting rid of it. Like I have t-shirts from robotics competitions from a long time ago that I have trouble getting rid of. But when getting ready for this move, I got rid of many of them. I still have a few. I couldn't get rid of them all. And that's simply because of me saying, you know what? It would be kind of cool 
if I meet some of these students who I was a coach for the robotics team in 10 or 20 years, that I can wear the same t-shirt that I wore when I was coaching them. That is a reason that I will not get rid of some of those shirts. So it's not, it's not current joy, yes. it's potential joy. And potential utility. Yes, joy and utility here go hand in hand. So it's not spam at that point, because spam is sort of useless in the email sense. It is delicious in the food sense, or potentially delicious, I should say. Because you, you know the spam is pre-cooked. You can just open a tin of spam and just eat it uncooked. I don't know. I have not tried, so I would not go about recommending this. But at the same time, because the spam that I have had that has been cooked has all been delicious. And having just a nice piece of fried spam, a, a slice of Tillamook cheese on top, some rice, have a nice rice burger, sounds like a delicious thing to eat today. Shouldn't it need to be called a spamwich? Oh my goodness. I think I have a new career baking spamwiches. Uh, the last thing that I would say about this whole thing, getting to the subject, remember we had a disagreement about whether this was not spam or potential spam about the title of this episode. And the idea of potential spam for us in the physical realm, like looking at things, how do we identify things physically as being unnecessary, we can get rid of this. I think it's really hard for us to look at other people's stuff. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. So it's just stuff. It is just a thing. And it's really hard to judge that without having your own stories about a thing. So yeah, those are, those are tough to make because you're right. Like we don't know what that means to a person. What might be something that seems inconsequential to us may have a lot of value that other human that's something we definitely have to take into consideration there well do you want to talk about next episode i think you should be the one to talk about the next episode you had an excellent idea here well there has been a theme in my time and i think in our whole family's time overseas maybe is just kind of the nature of humanity that we keep running into people who are in circles with other people that we know. Like what a small world when you hear a story about something very striking that happens, like some connection, and you might initially say, oh my gosh, there's no way that could possibly happen. But it happens so often that I thought it would make a perfect episode for us to talk about some of the small world stories in our lives, because there are tons. I'm excited to venture into this small world with you, Evan. It's going to be so fun. So thank you very much for listening. This has been The Opposite of Neutral. Have a great day.